Okay, welcome to the Institute for Governments, uh, one of our final events, in fact, at Labour Conference. Um, today we're going to be looking at the role of government in supporting innovation to boost growth and tackle regional inequality, and we're very grateful to Costain for supporting this event. I'm Emma Norris, I'm the Director of Research at the Institute for Government. So the Prime Minister has said that she is focused on growth. We haven't heard an awful lot about their plans for innovation so far, but what we have heard of their broader economic plans have been controversial, uh, to put it mildly, and some have argued at odds with tackling regional inequality and at odds with levelling up. Well, today we're here to discuss the role of innovation in driving growth and tackling regional inequality. Innovation is a really important driver of economic growth, but the UK performs less research and development than other advanced economies, and much of what does occur is concentrated in what's known as the Golden Triangle of London, Oxford and Cambridge. So this event is going to look at how a Labour government would support innovation and how it would go about doing that outside of London in the South East. Um, so we're very lucky to have a brilliant panel with us to discuss these issues today. We've got Chion Wura, the Shadow Minister for Science, Research and Innovation, John Whaling, the Lead Officer in Innovation and Commercialisation in the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority, Professor Richard Jones, who's the Vice President for Regional Innovation and Civic Engagement at the University of Manchester, and Adam Bennett, who's the Client Director for Central Government at Costain. So we're going to start with some opening remarks uh, from each of the panellists. We'll then have a kind of brief discussion um, amongst the panel, but I'll make sure I leave lots of time to come to the audiences. I know you'll have lots of questions too. And then we'll be finishing at 1.15 sharp, as I understand there's a rather important speech happening quite soon after this event that people might want to listen to. And for those of you following on Twitter, the hashtag that we're using is IFGLab22. Okay, Chi, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, the Johnson government's committed to much more public R&D spending, and it's made research and development a key focus of its plan for growth and levelling up. What role do you see innovation policy playing if Labour is in government? Um, well, thanks very much, and thanks to IFG for uh, inviting me to this second uh, event with IFG today. And ooh, thank you. it's great to see so many... How is this working? It's great to see so many people here uh, to talk about... Um, um, innovation and um, the the role of the role of science. Um, I um, I just was somewhat taken aback by your quoting uh, Boris Johnson <laughs> <laughs> on on science um, to begin with, uh, because um, I mean I I really in some ways don't know where I mean obviously they, the, the the current government have at the Conservatives generally have trashed their economic credibility in the last uh, three, four days. But in terms of their science credibility, I mean, my, my, my challenge to, to the Conservatives has been that they're just not serious uh, about science. Uh, we have had, in fact, we, haven't, we still haven't got a science minister, but we have had seven, um, seven, change, seven changes of science minister in less than four years. So that is, uh, we're talking about the need for a long-term plan for science. We haven't even got a long-term <coughs> science minister. And um, the role, the importance of science in delivering uh, regional economic growth is, um, you know, it cannot be, um, cannot be overstated. And we want to see, so Labour's commitment is absolutely to uh, science, I'm, I'm a, 
by background, I'm an engineer, but I'm also a great believer in sci pure science, science for the sake of science, but also science for the sake of uh, delivering the st straight pathway from science to the kind of jobs that you can raise a family on and the kind of jobs which have been taken out of our, out of our economy so over, over the past uh, few uh, decades. So um, what I want to see is, is the science ministers, <laughs> politicians need to have loud voices. Uh, what I want to say as, as, I, yeah, um, as science minister, uh, would be our regions having the levers of um, regional economic prosperity in their hands. And research and development has to be a critical part of that. And the fact is, uh, there are just two key, if you like, statistics here. Firstly, that with nationally, with 1.7% of our um, GDP going on research and development, we are at the bottom of developed nations. You know, we're way behind uh, Germany, we're behind France. We, our target, Labour, a Labour government's target would be 3% of GDP uh, going on research and development. Uh, the current government's target is 2.4%, but they you know, they're not on track even to meet that. Um, and we see that 3% uh, particularly being important for you know, public spending, obviously, on research, but particularly leveraging in private sector spend on research and development, and particularly across our countries because we do much worse in leveraging in private sector spend than other countries, and particularly regionally. And then the second key statistic I just mean, is that the European Regional Development Fund, you know, um, they, um, they put, that put half a billion pounds into research and development in our regions. Whereas UK funding for science is highly um, centralized and concentrated on the Golden Triangle, uh, European Union funding for science for, through the ERDF funds was much more um, percentage-wise, much higher outside of London and the Golden Triangle. And that has been lost. The replacement, the Shared Prosperity Fund, um, represents a cut of 43%, but also there is no uh, ring fencing or anything for research and development. And these are decisions that are going to be taking, how it's spent, they're going to be taking in Whitehall, and whether or not they will be focusing on research and development in our regions, I doubt it very much. So that is a cut to our, uh, that's a cut to our regional spend on research and development, and it's one that the levelling up fund, or the, you know, the levelling up white paper did absolutely nothing to address. So we need to be, we need to be, in, we need to be increasing the proportion of our GDP that goes on research and development, and we need to be increasing that in our regions, and we need to be uh, uh, using our fantastic science base to drive regional economic development. Brilliant. Thank you, Chi. Lots to pick up on there in questions. Um, John, I want to come to you next. Um, lots of innovation policies are delivered by central government, mm. but Liverpool City Regions made its innovation strategy a priority um, regionally. What tools do combined authorities have to promote innovation, and how are you promoting R&D in the Liverpool region? Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, it certainly is a priority for the Metro Marin City region, and on the back of what Chi said, people may or may not be aware we have a a 5% of R&D <laughs> yes. investment target um, uh, as a North Star 
goal that's enshrined in various strategies, and that's linked to a, an unashamedly smart specialization approach. So we can't, don't want to boil the ocean. Uh, we're not world leading in everything, but we are world leading in materials chemistry, infection prevention and control, AI solutions, and um, we've got an emerging strength in uh, net zero and maritime. So focusing what we're good at. In terms of, of the tools, um, evidence and intelligence, it's not very sexy, but actually um, that's where the 5% came from. We try and make sure what we do and what we say is, is grounded in evidence. Clearly, we have a strategic uh, and policy function, um, which has helped us develop new approaches. We, we do have uh, limited um, investment of our own, but clearly we have and are investing in, in R&D projects such as Glass Futures, Maritime Knowledge Hub, etc. Um, major role, Ray, uh, regarding business support. Um, we may, may get onto that. Uh, in a moment. We've just had an announcement on last Friday of Innovate UK funding for national launchpad pilot. Um, critical is our convening function, so the CA doesn't do R&D per se, clearly, um, but our job is, a, is as a, a facilitator and enabler. We, we bring together partners, we um, coordinate the, the, the UK's first, actually, sub-regional innovation board, um, so there's all that um, orchestration going on. Um, clearly around inward investment in international trade and vitally employment and skills. Again, we could talk a little bit about that. But, but ultimately, I guess, clearly there are lots of tools that everyone has. The, the trick is marshalling them all um, to best effect, which is why the target is important, because there's a purpose to that that then, then drives uh, actual activity the CA as I said it doesn't do R&D we're we're both the orc uh, you know we try and make sure people people do things in concert uh, so we're the conductor as well as being part of the orchestra brilliant thank you very much um, Richard I'm going to come to you now uh, so one of the big challenges with R&D is that it tends to be quite regionally concentrated and um, spillover effects cluster benefits what do you think government can do, what government policies, if you like, would be most effective to harness innovation to drive growth outside of London and the South East? Well, I think the key thing is for government to actually be sensitive to the place dimension of, of funding. <clears throat> I think, you know, we support, uh, there's public support for R&D because that leverage is in pri the private sector that uh, she's already mentioned, that's uh, hugely important. And it's a really interesting thing. If you look at the way that R&D spending is distributed, uh, Tom Forth and I did a report about this a few years ago for Nesta. If you look at how the, what the correlation is between business R&D and public R&D, it's actually surprisingly weak. <clears throat> so you have places like Oxford and Cambridge, which have very high public support for R&D and very high private sector R&D too. So those are places that are absolutely, you know, that's what we ought to be trying to emulate. They typically have problems, they have problems in growing. So, I mean, it's difficult to grow their economy because it's constrained by other factors. But then if we have places like the Midlands, both East and West Midlands and the Northwest, both Liverpool and Greater Manchester and indeed Lancashire and Cheshire, what you see there is actually very high private sector R&D and much lower proportional public sector R&D. And so those are places where we know there are spillovers to be had. You know, there's pound notes on the floor that aren't being picked up there. We've got market signals that are telling us what are the sectors that, uh, that, that the public ought to be supporting, and, uh, but, but, but that's not happening. 
Then you've got places like Wales, Yorkshire and Humber, the North East, Northern Ireland, which actually, you know, they're quite weak innovation economies all around, both public and private. And there, you, you know, you've got to do, be much more deliberate about choosing a sector and pushing on it. I think Wales has done a good job with compound semiconductors over quite, quite a long time. Uh, Northern Ireland is seeing some really interesting developments uh, in, in, in cyber, particularly driven by FDI. Uh, and then finally, you've got uh, London and Scotland, which actually have very high public sector R&D that's not matched by private sector R&D. And I think there you've got to say, what can we do more to maximise the value of those public investments? So I think that concentration of R&D has come about for three reasons. I mean, there was a time when there was a deliberate policy of concentrating money because... Uh, in a time of shrinking budgets in the 80s and 90s, people thought, well, we've got to kind of save what we've got. Let's just focus on a few places. I think there are a few careless decisions. I mean, I say careless. Maybe it's more to that. You know, and uh, John and I will probably like to focus on, uh, you know, the diamond light source. That was a decision to move a very uh, important R&D facility from Merseyside to Oxfordshire, which uh, was not a great idea in my view. Uh, but there are many others too, actually. Uh, and then finally, there's just this Matthew effect that, you know, excellence breeds more excellence, great facilities attract great people, they bring in more money, and so there's that tendency. So that all says, you know, science funding's claimed to be place-blind in the past, but the effect of claiming place-blind science policy is actually to produce concentration. You actually have to push against that tendency for, for, for R&D to be concentrated. So I think we need to direct funding much more deliberately, thinking about the needs of places. I think we need to build innovation capacity in the private sector, and, and that needs different types of institutions. It's not just about uh, pure R&D or even applied R&D. It's connecting it to a skills agenda, connecting it to FDI, the things that John was talking about. Uh, and I think that's going to need, that needs local involvement, local knowledge, local accountability. So I think that's, that, that, that's how I think the government needs to change things. Brilliant, thank you. And Adam, I'm going to come to you last. So, Costain delivers innovative projects right across the UK. From your perspective as a, as a private innovator, if you like, what would it be most useful for the government to do to help you and develop and deliver more projects? Yes, yeah, so thank you and good afternoon, everybody. So, um, to put things in perspective from Costain, we are um, a large UK infrastructure company. Um, we were actually born in Liverpool, so it's quite nice to be back in Liverpool. And the Costain family in the 1800s built most of the houses <coughs> you see on the outskirts of Liverpool. Uh, so our heritage is very much here, and, and we keep reminding ourselves of that as a business. Um, in terms of the innovation and R&D aspect, it's massively important for us in infrastructure because they are generally long-term, highly complex problems that the country has to resolve. Pages 2, Thames Tideway, big-scale projects that actually line up with the long-term investment that R&D takes to get into the fruition of commercialization and skills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in terms of the question you mentioned, there's, there's three points I wanted to kind of draw out to try and keep things simple. One is behaviors. Uh, everybody is scared uh, as a generalization of innovation. The term innovation is generally seen as um, high-profile. It's going to fail. Uh, it's, it's high cost, no impact. There's lots of misconceptions about innovation and R&D out there and I think consistency in language would be massively helpful across the industry um, and also on that vein actually use what we've got there are some fantastic regional based hubs of innovation there's the innovation network I saw today about the local county use these networks that already exist today to massively impact 
how to drive the, this agenda forward. And fail fast. Don't be afraid to fail. Let the private industry fail, uh, and don't and, and don't shoot them for failing as long as they fail fast and they learn from mistakes. The second point is procurement, um, and that's come up a few times over the last couple of days. And, and I would say procurement's actually maturing quite well um, in the input of procurement, but we never get how to account on the output of procurement. So did we deliver what the input that we committed to as a private industry said? We can be as innovative as you want in procurement, but if we're not held to account at the end of it, what behavior is that going to drive in the procurement cycle of life? So focus on the output of procurement, not the input. And the final one, um, I tried to draw out something that no, I think nobody's really talking about is IPR. And government doesn't talk about IPR, really. And, and I was trying to research it. And actually, if government commercialized all of the IPR it owns, because most contracts require government to own the IPR that's developed, most contracts, it'd probably be one of the biggest banks they've got. And how do government commercialize the IPR that's owned within the contracts? We, we as a private business would love to co-create IPR and take that to market together uh, with government to understand how we as a private industry can commercialize with government and then give back to GDP instead of drawing down on GDP. How do we give something back through the intelligence, the value, the creation that's been done by the process? I, I even tried Googling the value of it and went down all sorts of rabbit holes, but nobody's really pushing that IPR boundary and how it could help fiscal stimulus to invest more in this space. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Chi, I wanted to come back to you to hear a little bit more about kind of how Labour's going to reach its target. So you've got a target of 3% on R&D. That's a long way from where we are now. It's hugely ambitious change. Um, yes. How would you actually go about achieving that? Okay, that's a great question. Um, oh, um, so, the, you know, there's not, um, if you like, there's not one answer to that. There's not one answer to that question. So increasing the public sector funding um, will... Um, is expected to uh, leveraging in itself more private sector funding for science, but it's not enough. It was not enough to do that at, this, at the kind of levels in which we have been doing, been doing it. So we can't just like give more public sector money and it, it hit the target by the by the expected sort of increase in private sector. We need to make active, proactive policies which increase private sector funding for um, for for our, for. Uh, innovation. I mean, I'd be very interested to hear about we come back um, at particular examples when you're talking about um, um, IPR. But what the number of policies that we're looking at, you know, so t I think that um, using we have a fantastic science base. We have one of the best science bases in the world. We have, I think, the third highest level of um, of uh, paper science papers published published. Uh, but that doesn't translate. We have some of the best universities in the world, and I think we have the best concentration of, of brilliant universities uh, in the in the world. But that doesn't translate into uh, the best um, sort of level of startups and uh, spin-outs. And so, what we want to do is 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 help embed universities in uh, regional economic growth and raise the numbers of spot startups and spin-outs, which are Coming out, coming out of sort of that university science space, and also um, extend them across you know, a region. So that's, for example, in uh, Newcastle, in the northeast, great region. We've got Newcastle University, we've got Northumbria University, we've got Durham University, we've got S Sunderland University and um, Middlesbrough, you know, Tisa on Teesside. 
we don't have a university, obviously, in every pit village or every ex-pit village, uh, but that is where we have lots of talent and uh, great ideas. So we need to embed them throughout uh, the regions. And what we're looking at now is the incentives and the kind of mechanisms. I've heard a num held a number of roundtables with university research uh, VCs and local businesses and bi businesses big and small to address that, to direct how we would address that. We've also got our startup review, which is led by um, um, Lord Jim O'Neill, which is looking precisely at the incentives to, um, to, to, gen to have more startups, but also more startups that succeed. And that's, you know, we have a, we don't, we have a fantastic, if you like, financial services sector in the city. We don't have a fantastic um, levels of access to capital for startups and venture capital, in particularly, and particularly outside of, um, of London, very um, impressed by the um, Northern Grit Stone um, initiative, which is looking at uh, developing a venture cap more venture capital funds uh, in the Northwest. Um, what else are we going to do, be doing? We're looking at um, skills and more access to skills. And I think there's been some announcements today about access to skill, life, sort of lifelong learning, which should in itself um, you know, help drive um, 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 innovation and uh, and also greater collaboration. I'll tell you one other thing. Just so finally, you know, <laughs> participation in Horizon. Uh, would also, um, uh, uh, rather than turning our back on it, uh, you know, would also help um, help drive up that sort of accelerator in terms of getting more private sector funding for the public sector funding that we've promised. Fantastic. A question I wanted to ask all the panel is also about the respective roles of central and local government, central and regional government. Um, you know, who should be doing what? Is it right at the moment or are there different things, for instance, John, that you would like to see central government doing that it's not doing at the moment that would help you realise your strategy? Yeah, I, I think what I'd like to see them do more of is less um, and actually devolve a lot more um, a lot more responsibility, of course, public funding to leave her, to leave it private. But um, linked to what everyone said, we, we know our patches best, you know, any kind of business, let alone innovation, it ultimately depends on, on relationships as much as anything. Um, so, yeah, of course, we, we, want, um, we want more funding, but I think, as Chi said, it needs to be targeted. Not, not everywhere can and will be R&D intensive, so there has to be a degree of picking winners where there's, where there's evidence and, uh, that backs that up in a pipeline of, of activity. Um, certainly they could and should do more around cluster development. We've got a particular approach to asset-based cluster development, both existing and, and future assets. There's a whole load more that could be done to, to unlock um, the, the, the commercialization of the science base. Um, we've got a, an initiative called Liva Labs that's geared towards that, that's about um, it's not just creating spin-outs and spin-ups within HEIs themselves. It's about brokering individual academics um, with individual companies who could and should be more R&D intensive. And then absolutely around the skills and, and actually the inspiration agenda, inspiring the next generation of people um, across the whole employment spectrum linked to universities, not just postdocs and... Um, 
etc. But, but ultimately, I think what we need is more scale and more longer-term thinking um, and more commitment to doing things uh, on a, a regional basis. Fabulous. Um, Richard, same question to you. Yeah, well, well I agree with everything John said. I, and I'll just add a couple of things. I mean, I think one of the things that... Uh, uh, I mean, I think, yes, the centre needs to let go a bit. I think, you know, there's still a role for the centre because you, you need to have a map of the whole country, as it were, and to understand how everything fits together. So I, I'm not saying that, there's the, 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 you know, Innovate UK, UKRI, uh, Go Science, these are, you know, important central agencies that can uh, coordinate things. But I think there does there need to be a much stronger role for local and regional government. And I would say that's got two parts. I think part of it is actually about leadership. Uh, so Chi uh, uh, and I were on the panel yesterday, Andy Burnham, uh, as Mayor of Greater Manchester, I think, was very vocal about how important he felt that innovation was for his agenda for a greener, fairer, more prosperous Greater Manchester. So I think uh, city leaders, mayors, uh, understanding how important innovation is and being able to make that case is important. Sunday, I know Oliver Coppard was on, I was on a panel with Oliver Coppard from, from Sheffield. Uh, uh, so uh, he, he was, uh, again, very vocal, I think very passionate about the importance of innovation. So it's about leadership. And then it's also about capacity, all those things that John talked about first time round, about the need for being able to, uh, to, to gather the evidence and understand it, the need to convene, the need to understand the patch, the need to kind of make cases, make good decisions. So I think that's all the things that we need to develop in the cities and regions to match uh, or to give government confidence to, to let go more. Adam, is there anything that you'd like to see change in? respective roles of local and central government? I, I guess from a, a using the role I've got here about the private industry is, is the central role is more about providing consistency and clarity because one, one of the most confusing aspects of this space is you can go down so many places, so many conversations, so many opportunities and get lost quite quickly. So you don't know whether you're going to get turned left, turned right, and that's just in local areas, let alone national areas. So that, that consistent map or the system of innovation as the country works is probably the most important thing that centrally should hold. I, I can agree with the giving more power to the regions and making sure they thrive, but let's make sure it's not at the expense of learning and, and cross-fertilising expertise across the country and how do we support... It's about the ecosystem, so how do you bring public, be it central, local, with private, with private venture with the international expertise, how do you bring all that together in harmony to get the most out of it is the biggest problem and challenge and opportunity at the same time that I think we face in this agenda. And it's, it's complicated. It's, it's purposefully complicated as well, and that's great, but we've got to help each other navigate it. I also wanted to ask about the, the other policies that are necessary to kind of support innovation. And because it's not just you know, investment in R&D, we need to look at things like skills, transport, and so on. John, what, what's the, the kind of rest of the policy mix you'd like to see coming that would support um, innovation and driving growth? Um, gosh, that's a big question. Um, I mean, yeah, clearly infrastructure is, is critical, um, be it transport or, or digital. We've, we've touched on, on skills, and, and there's, as I've highlighted, there's clear scope for more devolution around that, linked to the career service, linked to adult education, etc. cetera. Um, and so one of the things we're, we're 
doing at the moment. We're, I think like Greater Manchester the, and two other accelerators, we're in a discussion with Innovate UK about a formal partnership agreement um, on the back of which will come an action plan. A key part of that is is looking how we, we could potentially be a, um, a pilot around doing a large-scale inspiration campaign. So not just, um, not just you know, showcasing how the Liverpool city region has changed the world for 300 years, but actually the people, the ideas, the businesses, the assets here and now, all around us, a mile away, half a mile away, across the city region that are changing the world. That, you know, most of the people in the room in the combined authority, let alone our kids, are, are blissfully unaware of. Um, so, sorry, I didn't really answer your question, uh, but I'm sure other people will. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit more about Labour's kind of plans for yes, skills policy, um, transport, some of the other things that will help drive innovation? Um, well, yes, I mean, I think um, so in terms of, you know, we just made announcements today about the about skills and um, you know, talk about lifelong education, ensuring that people have can have access to, um, to to the skills, to training, whilst they're in work, you know, in work, in work training. I think that's one of the easiest you know, like opportunities to access work, working people and if, uh, uh, uplift their skills, and also to have access to uh, to, to for, you know, further education. The thing I, do, I want to say, which hasn't really been mentioned, is uh, diversity. Mm. Uh, because when we talk about skills, you know, our lack of you know, our lack of skills, we're, we're, as it is, we are kind of um, effectively in in much of the innovation ecosphere, uh, excluding fifty uh, percent of the population, which is female, but also the, and also other uh, levels of um, exclusion for based on class and um, also on ethnicity. You know, we are not. Uh, we are not get, getting our innovation skills from the entire talent pool, and that is a real barrier to our future prosperity. So for me, it's a, that's an issue of social justice, but it's also an issue of basic economic um, economic imperative. So um, I want to, I think, you know, devolving, devolving skills uh, funding as you know, to, to, to city regions helps in that because you know the, the closer to the, the skills pool and it also uh, can address some of that potentially address some of the the, 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 the clash of class and social mobility challenges I think we have to be very clear about uh, measuring how public sector money you know and that's UKRI public sector money is being is being um, Used uh, and whether or not it is being, it is funding uh, exclusion. Uh, I think our science base needs to be. I think I know that our science base needs to be more diverse, and that needs to feed through to, in terms of the startups and the spin-outs that come from it. Thank you, Rich. I'm going to come to you um, on the, the same question. Then I'm going to come to audience questions. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that it's a great advantage of being able to do things at a local level that one can bring together, the transport, the, the, the infrastructure, planning, all those things to, 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 to create this vision of a you know, more innovative uh, future economy and get everything uh, to, to point in that direction. Skills is particularly important. I think you know, one of the reasons why skills is particularly important is because that's something that, frankly, central government does very badly. The link between the department, you know, Bayes and Department for Education is very, very weak. The commitment to any kind of place-based 
thinking in the Department for Education is, is poor. And, uh, you know, one, one particular area I think is very important is the FE. So FE has been hugely neglected in the last uh, decade. It's very important, you know, it's particularly important in places that, um, uh, that, that, that uh, you know, the, the, those places that don't fully participate in the innovation economy. So it's important for, for, for inclusion. I think in Greater Manchester, places like Rochdale, uh, Oldham, places with low participation rates in, in HE, and these are exactly the places where those minority communities who should be playing much more of a part should be. FE colleges are really important in those places because they're the kind of anchor institutions they're on. As she said, you know, there's not a university in Bishop Auckland or any of the pit villages in, in, in the northeast. There's often an FE college. And so linking FE colleges with the HE sector and having a kind of whole joined up skills system, I think, can be hugely important. And that's something, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, push on that in, in, in GM. Fantastic, thank you. I'm aware that we've been talking um, for over half an hour amongst ourselves, so I should come out and ask you all what you would like to ask the panel. Um, so, hands up, I'll take questions in kind of groups of uh, three. I've got a microphone coming round. If you could say your name and what organisation you're from or where you're from, that would be really helpful. So, perhaps if we just start here. Thank you. Uh, Alexandra Cardenas from Starling Bank. Um, in the fiscal statement last week, the Chancellor announced the investment zones and also changes to the to, to tax relief. So, so the seed investor um, investment scheme and uh, EIS. So it's just wondering what the thoughts on the, of the panel are in terms of um, whether these new initiatives help or hinder innovation. Brilliant, thank you. And then just behind. Tanya Sheridan, Royal Society of Chemistry. We have about 45,000 chemists as members of our professional body, and we also support chemistry-intensive SMEs. So I was wondering what the panel's thoughts are about what central government, local governments, and universities can do to create the right conditions for entrepreneurs spinning out their scientific discoveries and going through that really hard grind of getting from a new idea to actually commercializing a project the product and starting a company brilliant thank you then just one over there thank you uh, john cullenane from the charter institute of taxation i just wondered what the panel saw as the role of research and development tax credits in all this if if indeed they see a role uh, and just one quick related point on this you know golden triangle issue uh, when the current well the last chancellor but one i think it was uh, did a, uh, part of his review of all this, they did look at where the uh, companies claiming the grants were from and did publish something along the lines that most of them were in London, but it turned out they were the only information they had was registered offices, not where the R&D actually took place. So I, I just wondered how good all the information is underlying the, the, the regional distribution of R&D. Thank you. Um, I'll do another round of questions, but for now we've got kind of thoughts on recent announcements, um, the journey to commercialisation and tax credits. Chi, I'm going to come to you first. Thanks very much. And I, do, I, I should make clear, I have to leave at uh, one o'clock or five past, uh, five past one. No problem. But um, so that, the great questions. Um, but so so you're, you're right, in, in, sorry, in as much as the, um, the, the sort of the fantasy economics on which um, the Chancellor's uh, so-called fiscal uh, event uh, mini budget uh, was based uh, or, or based um, and um, has kind of overshadowed uh, sort of a couple of um, I mean, 
Africa, for example, you didn't say anything about, about many different areas, but a couple of things that you did say something about uh, in terms of the uh, support for entrepreneurs. And, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, it's very quite. Sorry, so the, yeah, so he did. The, he, the, the chancellor did um, did make some announcements on supporting, as he as he put it, uh, entrepreneurs um, for with the um, EISS and, and the the like that. Um, so we, as part of our startup review that I talked about, led by um, Lord Jim O'Neill, uh, we're looking at what the you know the fiscal incentives, if you like, for uh, entrepreneurs and startups as well, and the role that they play. In, in, in encouraging um, um, you know, uh, people to, uh, to, to start up and to keep, uh, if you like, their, their businesses, not to, not to, to be able to um, be rewarded for innovation and creativity. Um, um, I mean, you know, the review is still ongoing. I'd be interested in, in, in people's thoughts, but it's clear that um, you know, we want to keep in place incentives which are effective in, in, and I think the principle that entrepreneurs should be rewarded for being entre for, 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 um, for, for being entrepreneurs uh, is something that's, that, you know, that we would agree with uh, uh, fundamentally. Um, and, and so, what, what what are we doing for to, to encourage startups and um, spin outs spin outs from universities? Well, that's exactly sort of at the heart of our. Um, Ambition to embed uh, universities as uh, centres of um, of regional economic growth. Um, I um, yeah I've, I spent a really interesting afternoon at Imperial College and talking to Imperial Innovations and some of the uh, policies that, that they have in place to encourage startups both among staff and amongst uh, students. And one of them is uh, I went to Imperial in the 80s. Uh, I don't think anybody ever mentioned starting up a business to me and so there's, there's, there's there, are, there are policies in place there there are there are there's a pre if you like pre-business support support for a business before the person has even had a thought of having a business if you like to encourage that and particularly again particularly to make that diverse so to encourage non-traditional uh, groups if you like to uh, uh, representatives to uh, start businesses um, and to give them, start support them on that journey. And it's kind of, we're, we're looking at what works and what we can promote and support within, um, uh, across, the, across the country. Um, I'd also say you know, that the learned institutions, the learned bodies, I'm a member of the, of the uh, IET, the Institution of Engineering Technology myself, they have access to, you, know, you, you say you've got 4,000 uh, uh, chem chemists and scientists, you know, um, engaging with them yourselves into you know encouraging you know, you know, uh, you know them to engage with yourselves and with the with the universities. Also, IP is a big issue. You know, um, businesses tell me that universities require too too much return for their IP. Universities tell me that it's it's um, you know, it's fundamental to getting some return on their investment. So I'm really interested. I'm really interested in views on that. You know, the IP universities can require between five and twenty-five percent of uh, a startup in return for the IP, and um, there's, you know, there's a vast range there. Um, R&D tax credits. Um, of course, we're looking at that. It's actually, the biggest way, uh, single way in which we fund uh, research and development in this country is through tax credits. Um, uh, and businesses, large and small, generally tell me that those tax credits have been very um, helpful in, in re making, res in 
in, in them investing in research. Big businesses say particularly when they're looking, when head, companies headquartered outside of the UK are looking where to, send, to set research and development, um, tax credits make an important part of that decision. Um, I do think it's worthwhile looking at what other countries are doing as well in terms of supporting research and development through the, through the tax system. And also, obviously, the government's changed, I think, three times in the last uh, 18 months, the sort of what's included in research and development. Um, and I think that's something that we're, we're uh, looking at. When it comes to information, the data that's collected, um, I think that I think the UKRI has good information on where where research is performed because they don't just use the, the HQ thing. The R and D tax credit in, information. I think you're, you're right that the UK that the, the HMRC may just use the the, the headquarters, uh, which tells you where the R and D is being directed from, even if it doesn't tell you where where it's actually being performed. Thank you. Does any of the rest of the panel want yeah. to come in on? Yeah, they're all great questions. I just want to start with a kind of cautionary note about startups. I think it's, you know, universities are very conscious of the need to generate more startups. But I think, you know, if you're thinking about the scale of the problem needed to get to 3% from 1.7 to 3%, you need to think, you know, what's the scale of activity? My guess as to the total amount of R&D done by startups in the country is about 2 billion a year, if you get that from... Uh, triangulating how much uh, venture capital gets put in versus some tax credit data. And total business R&D is about 28 billion. So the only way that startups will make a significant difference to overall R&D in the country is those startups that grow and get big. So in a way, the, the, the concentration needs to be not on how many startups do you do, but how many of them grow to, to, to scale. So how many Oxford nanopores are there? To give you, you know, a great example of a, a, a you know, really excellent company that's got great technology and has made that decision to stay around and, and grow. When it comes to tax reliefs, I think tax reliefs are very important for startups. It's clear that, you, you know, that's a really important part of the business plan. I think that's good. Of course, in a regional context, that, uh, that then exacerbates uh, regional inequality simply because uh, uh, the VC industry is so concentrated in London particularly. So I think there really needs to be a very conscious effort to build uh, ecosystems outside London. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's more than just money. Uh, and she mentioned Northern Gritstone, which is a great uh, uh, thing from Manchester, Sheffield and Leeds to, to, that's very successfully uh, concluded a fundraising round. Money's important, but it's also the service industries that go around it. It's uh, the access to good managers, loads of stuff. Then when it comes to R&D tax credits, uh, um, well, I mean, to start on the information question, um, there, and there are two sources of regional information about uh, uh, where R&D is, is done in the UK. There's the tax credit data, and then there's the so-called BIRD survey, the survey that ONS runs. Uh, the, the, the tax credit data is much coarser. We have, a, a Tom and I and various other people have had many discussions with people in DLUC and in, in the Treasury about can we get more access to the granular R&D tax credit data. That's something, you know, <clears throat> a, a very concrete and... Uh, 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 apparently technical thing that would be really helpful for regional organizations you know like innovation greater manchester or liverpool city region if we actually could maybe on a trusted basis get some get that data 
We've used other techniques. We've used uh, um, kind of a combination of machine learning and web scraping techniques to try and work out where we think the R&D active firms are in Greater Manchester. You know, it's a more difficult question than you'd think to find that out. And the other point about tax credits, R&D tax credits, R&D tax credits are hugely expensive. And Pete mentioned it is. It's the largest single R&D support intervention. And what's the, there's been this very puzzling thing that's happened over the last few years that uh, you'd expect there'd be some kind of rough correlation between what the Bird Survey says the total amount of business R&D in the UK is and what the R&D tax credits uh, say. That has diverged. So uh, I, I'm trying to, I, I can't. Got, I can't get the figures to hand, but uh, people like to read my blog. There are these <laughs> figures in there. <clears throat> The, 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 there are several billion more uh, uh, R&D is claimed in, for, for R&D tax credits than is reported in the bird survey. And we know part of that is because there's slight differences in definition. We know part of it is because um, uh, um, uh, R&D abroad is allowed to, uh, to, to, to qualify for R&D tax credits, and that itself seems uh, pr pr pretty strange. But uh, I think uh, uh, that there is some caution needed about R&D tax credits. Thank you. I'm going to go out and just take a few more questions. So I know that, um, Chi, you need to run off at one. Um, we've got one over here, one over here, and then one at the back there. Uh, Joe Marshall, National Centre for Universities and Business. Uh, <clears throat> I'm curious about the local piece. We live, the lots of these panels of discussions have been about the overly centralised UK decision-making piece. <clears throat> and I won't get into the kind of feudal local parish decision-making structures, but we do live in a wonderfully unique local decision-making structure in the UK and in England and in local places. So but that's for another discussion about LEPs and councillors. And, but they're all often elected and that has an impact about the decision makers that local decision makers have in terms of getting re-elected and demonstrating jobs and growth. But my question is, how do you encourage, if we were to encourage more local decision making, how do you encourage local decision makers to make tough decisions about what they're not good at to avoid the proliferations of digital, digital hubs, life science hubs in every single LEP in the UK, uh, England? Um, just a quick question, uh, Chi, I love your diversity point. Um, I worked in Bayes before on the Newton Fund in India, and what I, one of the things I wanted to find out, what would Labour do to join up in terms of visas for overseas R&D scientists, people that want to come in who want to do projects? We're very good at buying um, patenting work abroad, but are we giving access? Thank you. And then one over here. Uh, I'm Peter, uh, working for Public Affairs for April 6, which uh, represent uh, an agency specialising in science and deep tech companies. Um, one problem I think that the UK has, it's, it's, it's generally very good at um, spinning out and making startups and all of that. The problem that we have is when they get bigger, they leave and then they're sold off and then we lose all of that investment that the UK has put in. And a part, a part of the reason for that is because of the infrastructure, especially with the life sciences industry, um, particularly lab space. 
there is none. <laughs> um, and these companies aren't able to grow here because there isn't the lab space available for them to do that. I just wondered what are the potential remedies for that and what can we do as, a, as what can the government do in order to you know, stimulate growth in the growing lab space particularly um, in order to support these life science companies that want to stay here. Um, I speak to them every day and they really want to stay here but they can't because there's just no space. Brilliant, thank you. So I'm going to go around um, the panel one by one. If I could ask you to consider these your closing comments. Because um, you need to run, she, don't you? So. Right, okay, so. Do you want to go first? Okay. Um, gosh, I mean, that, that is a bit of a curveball asking somebody from a combined authority about local decision making. Um, and I think the innovation agenda actually is a strange one for com combined authorities because it tends to be, by definition, science and technology quite strategic, albeit, you know, ultimately assets, clusters are based in places. But certainly that's, that's our approach, is we're fortunate enough in the Liverpool City region to have assets that are, are dispersed, because that's where they're, they have evolved organically, because they're the right place. So Glass Futures, Global uh, glass industry commercialisation. It's happening in St. Helens, not because the CA or St. Helens Council decided to put it there, but because the global glass industry, with funding from us facilitated by the planning regime, etc., decided that was the place. So, I'm kind of I'm I'm going to kind of avoid that one really because um, it's you know the, the raison d'etre for a CA as a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. So, but yes, of course, do do we need, you know is if you're asking, is there a kind of, um, is there a challenge in terms of better informing elected politicians and people across local authorities about the innovation agenda, that it isn't just universities and ivory towers and people with PhDs? Of course, that's that's right. So there's a an interpretation and um, facilitation question there. Uh, the, I mean, the lab space. The lab space question, absolutely right. Um, we, we've just conducted a, a not yet published survey that, that essentially comes to exactly that that conclusion. Um, the, are we doing anything about it? Yeah, of course we are. At SciTech Darsbury, which is UKRI's primary hub in in the north, then um, it is actually three-way JV between the private sector the council and UKRI, so that there's a long-term vision there. Um, uh, similarly, in the knowledge course, we're actually in, in, in Liverpool, which is the other kind of focal science and innovation campus, there, there are a whole load of, of things afoot, but it doesn't happen quickly enough. That's, that's the challenge. Um, and I'm going to duck the question on, um, on visas, because oh. I, I don't know anything about it, to be frank. Yeah, well, well, actually, I, I chair the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Africa, and we did a very extensive investigation into short-term visas. So not, you know, like not long, right to remain, just short-term visas and the way in which they were, um, you know, for, for conferences, for businesses, for, for whatever, and the way in which, sorry, the way in which that they um, found that uh, if you're from Africa, you were something like, I think it was twice as likely to have your visa application for business trip refused as from um, uh, from from uh, anywhere else in the world. So I think one of the first things we will do you know, is, is end the, the hostile environment, which has contributed. I mean, there's many issues with the Home Office, you know, under-resourcing, austerity. Our Shadow Home Secretary, uh, Yvette, 
Cooper, Cooper knows very well. Um, uh, but so ending that hostile environment and just try, just trying to make it function, um, the, the process function. Yeah, I, I won't go, I won't go on about that because there's just so many issues with the visa pro, with the visa process. But resourcing is a, is a fundamental key one of them. So yes, I mean, I you know, I said collaboration, innovation comes from collaboration and comes from diversity of thought and and uh, disciplines. And we do need to be working as well as with our European uh, colleagues. We need to be working with uh, scientists. We need to be working with scientists um, across the world. Um, so on, actually one thing I really want to emphasize is that the end, the, the destruction, the abolition of RDAs, regional development authorities, as well as many, there's many issues, many consequences in terms of research and development and science. It also meant data collection. It also just, you know, took away what a source of data collection. And one of my challenges is I look at ways in which universities can be better uh, embedded and we can drive regional economic growth is actually measuring it, measuring what success, being able to measure what success is or would look like. Um, so, so, so you know, I, but I think that the idea, the fact is that um, you know, we have different structures um, and they just have to be um, you know, a, a, a what we some of you know, very different structures across the country, across the England. Some of them work better than others, but um, you know, we, we have to be able to work with the effect, appropriate local structure, with the right business, academic, and um, community inputs as well, um, in order to take these uh, decisions. And so there isn't like a one-size-fits-all response at the moment and um, I think on lab space well, I think you're, I think you're, you're right and it's something that um, that that we need to you know, we need to address I mean it's one of the things that uh, the, the catapults that you know was kind of supposed to help address but obviously not doing it properly and, and out of the I think we, I think there've been 60 science strategies a long num a large number of them have been life science strategies so we will hope we will uh, you know when we if we if we win the next election we will certainly be looking at um, the infrastructure of innovation as well right and with that I have to go to hear our leader is going to say we'll be seated to hear what my leader is going to say <laughs> thank you very much chi So I, I guess I'll keep it um, simple. I'm, I, I'll cover the access point and I'll broaden it to access rather than lab-specific access. Um, I think we've got to be innovative in our approach to how we access this, and I, and I say that from a, a major infrastructure sort of view of life. We, we set up big, big spaces to deliver these complex projects, um, but we don't necessarily consider the local use of those environments that we create. I'm, I'm reflecting on the HS2 office, which at the moment is in London, because it's down there is where our piece of work is massive, you know, 15 floors of office space, and, and it's got one of the most advanced labs in terms of infrastructure labs, in the, probably in the infrastructure country, in the country of the infrastructure world. But are we using that? Are we connecting it to the university agenda? Are we connecting it to how the local community can accelerate startups? Are we giving the office space to local communities to, to thrive and be an environment of business. Um, I think that's a reflection that I think we need to keep, you know, back to basics, isn't it? Access for all in the, easy, the easiest and most convenient way, um, sort of going forward. Um, and another sort of point on that access is it's all about connections. It's all about being connecting to the right people at the right time in the right place. And we've got to encourage and facilitate that. And 
one of the very tactical, tactical things I've been pushing at the moment is every PhD should be partnered, mentored by a policy advisor. Because if you can get PhD and policy to work around a specific subject, you arguably can have more impact. Now, that's very tactical, but it just reinforces the point of connections and access in my mind of how do we align the use of what we have got already. And, and I do, I just want to come back to the tax credits point. Um, from a private side, they are massively valuable. And, and in my spirit of trying to be helpful rather than just say they're amazing, they're always backwards looking. So it's always looking back of what have you done? What, what can you badge? What can you claim? What can you look at as R&D tax credits rather than what are you going to do? You know, look ahead rather than look back uh, would be a helpful view to say without being defensive over my personal organisationals approach to R&D tax credits. But it is, every question I get is, what have you done? It's past tense, not proactive. What are we going to do? Thank you. And Richard, you get the final word. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, start on the local decision-making question. I think, you, you know, good de local decision-making about innovation needs at least four things. It needs, it does need democratic accountability, and I think that's important. I think local democracy is important. And I think if we can't persuade our elected mayors or our councillors that innovation is important, uh, we're doing something wrong. So I think we have to we have to make that effort. I think you need analytical capacity. You do need to be able to actually make good decisions, get, look at the data, understand where you see in the national picture. You actually need actual resources that you can put behind your decisions. And you need partnership with the private sector with HE. And I think the LEPs, you know, the LEPs had no accountability, no analytical capacity, no actual resources. They did have uh, the, the element of partnership. But I think the failure that the LEPs suffered was because they didn't have all four of those, those boxes ticked. I think in terms of pri partnership with the private sector and HE, to come to the kind of lab space question, you know, it's uh, in Greater Manchester, as I'm sure in, in Liverpool, you know, Bruntwood SciTech is a very important private sector partner for us as a, a, as a developer who sees, you know, the potential to make profits from, uh, uh, from increasing the size of the innovation economy and creating the lab space and the, 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 the innovation space to make that possible. So I do think, you know, the real estate industry has an important part to play in this, to, to be able to respond to that demand and uh, maybe even anticipate it and, uh, 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 and make that space available. So the, I, I think, you know, the, the, the challenge about local decision making is an important one. I think too much, you know, it's very important for places to understand what's happening outside. It's very important for this to be an outward-looking agenda, that it's about how Greater Manchester, in my case, can collaborate with Liverpool City Region, with Cheshire, with Lancashire, with Cambridge. You know, we'd like to, we'd like to understand how you kind of have a, an innovation ecosystem as important, as successful as the Cambridge one. We have discussions along those lines happening. So, yeah, getting that balance between the local and national is really important, not trivial, but if we do it, we need to do that to be able to unlock the potential for innovation to drive local economic growth. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, I'm going to draw things to a close there. Um, it's been a really rich discussion. I think lots of the things that we've talked about today, we're going to um, be hearing more on those from Labour. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much to everybody for taking part. Thank you most of all to the audience uh, for all your brilliant questions, for sitting here um, and listening to us talking. Um, and thank you, of course, to Costain for sponsoring the event. I hope you have a really good rest of conference um, and enjoy the speeches this afternoon. Thanks. <laughs>